Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Jeffrey Gerber, Denver's diet doctor, about diabetes, surprising findings when measuring insulin levels in his patients, educating both practitioners and the general population about the importance of eating quality food, and how his nutritional advice has changed over the years. Dr. Gerber is the co-organizer of Low Carb Denver and Low Carb Conferences and has spent several years learning about the impact that diet and lifestyle has on improving metabolic health as a family physician. And he uses the conference as a platform to help inform and educate from the grassroots level. Jeffrey is also the co-author of Eat Rich, Live Long, a book that provides simple guidelines and delicious recipes that help people adopt a lower carbohydrate diet approach. Jeffrey and I have known each other for several years now, having met at the Ancestral Health Symposium back at uh, Berkeley, I believe, in 2014. And since then, I've really looked up to him in terms of his knowledge and understanding of a low-carb approach, but also how that has evolved based on his patience and also just as our, all of our information and education evolves over the years. So Dr. Jeffrey Gerber is a board-certified family physician, speaker, author, conference organiser, husband, father and owner of South Suburban Family Medicine in Littleton, Colorado, where he is known as Denver's Diet Doctor. He has been providing personalised healthcare since 1990 and continues that tradition with an emphasis on longevity, wellness and prevention. And Jeffrey and I also talk about mitochondrial health and uh, interestingly, um, altitude and just the importance of fat utilisation there. Dr. Gerber is also the co-organiser of Low Carb Conferences, a yearly educational event for healthcare professionals and anyone else interested in learning about the latest science related to diet and health. And we also, of course, discuss this because I'm headed to Denver next month to attend the conference and it is just such a great way to connect with like-minded individuals and these, you know, even people who are up to the play with the latest research can really benefit from attending um, this both virtually or in person uh, because you just learn so much. And that conference is running 23rd to the 26th of February and I've included links to both of those in the show notes today and also links to how to connect with Jeffrey over at denversdietdoctor.com. I'd like to remind you the best way to support Wikipedia is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. That increases the visibility of Wikipedia in amongst the thousands of other podcasts out there. And this benefits the podcast and of course the new people who can then have access to the information that my guests bring to the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. You could also leave a five-star review if you felt like it. That'd be amazing. All right, team, enjoy the conversation I have with Dr. Jeffrey Gerber. Dr. Jeffrey Gerber, it's lovely to have the opportunity to chat to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, it's great to be here, Mickey. And uh, I know we saw each other a few months ago in California. Yes, we did. And excitingly, we'll see each other again in about six weeks' time at uh, Low Carb Denver, which is fast happening upon us. And of course, I want to chat to you about that as well today. But um, first, Jeff, if, you're, if it's all right with you, can you give us a little bit of your background, please? And um, how you, yeah, get start with your background, and then we'll sort of go from there. 
Yes, sure, Mickey. Well, hello to your audience. Uh, I was in uh, New Zealand visiting you. It was actually 2016, a long, long time ago. But uh, over the years, you've traveled with your friends and colleagues to the U.S., and we've bumped into you uh, on several several occasions. But about myself, uh, I'm a family doctor, and uh, I go back about 30, 30 plus years at this point. I mean, almost 35 years. And you know, my interest in nutrition is now uh, over. 20 almost 25 years uh, old so yeah i i come from a family of doctors you could say it was in our genes but yeah. um also had an interest in um um nutrition and weight loss cuz we were all overweight growing up and you know the family were always trying to do this that and the other thing back in the 60s and 70s and i have to credit credit my my mother who piqued my interest in medicine and and health and nutrition and the other aspect about myself is that i've always been an independent thinker and uh looking outside the box not uh, necessarily uh drinking the Kool-Aid <laughs> but you know wondering about how things work how how we can fix them how we can make it better and so you know i headed off into the medical school and you know in medical school i learned how to be a doctor very good at uh, diagnosing prescribing and treating but not learning much about nutrition other than the standard advice to eat less and exercise more and learned that that was really uh, unsuccessful in terms of uh helping our patients uh, achieve um uh, goals in terms of uh, you know weight, health, and and so forth, and um, patients, uh, you know, around ten years into my um, being a doctor, would come to me and they were trying these crazy low carb diets, and my father in law lost a lot of weight doing Atkins, and he challenged me, and I lost forty pounds right away. Oh my goodness! It's, it's really a it's really a classic. Go ahead. Was that some, when your father-in-law was doing it, Jeff? Was it? Uh, had you begun sort of exploring the area, or was was he one of your first sort of um, introductions to it? Him and your and, and your patients. Yeah, he was one of the. Again, it, it it was in my family. I had known about it, but he he put the challenge out that you know he he had picked up an Atkins book and uh, he he rapidly lost weight and then. You know, he he challenged me, and you know, at this point, I had said, you know, well, you're all going to drop dead. Your hearts are going to explode from eating all <laughs> the, you know, the the saturated fat. And so, but I, you know, again, I, I as an independent thinker, you know, I was I was open to the idea, and I actually was, you know, had been following my patients at this point, and you know, their hearts didn't explode. They they actually lost weight, and they felt better, and their metabolic markers improved and so for myself I rapidly lost 40 pounds and I felt great yeah. and I said I said wow there's there's something to this and I started to do uh my research to read about it look at the literature and you know the light bulb went off in the head and I said I, I think we got uh, nutrition wrong and so really you know from that point forward I've continued as a family doctor and you know we we call it uh primary prevention and Doing primary prevention properly, which is you know approaching nutrition in 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 a way that will really you know help our patients and you know prevent disease, and so that's what we've been doing for the last twenty five years, and it's really been fun and successful. We went out on the lecture circuit. We wrote a book with Ivor Cummins several years yes. back. And then um, we started doing conferences back in 2016, and our our sixth one is coming up. And I've realized that you know my passion is uh, nutrition education. Yeah, yeah, so interesting, um, Jeffrey. Like you're you've really taken that from the individual level and really sort of uh, built a platform, if you like, through of course the book, but the conference. And the speaking, um, uh, your speaking engagements, and actually getting that message out there. And I'm always really interested to um, understand the genesis of where someone has sort of begun in this space. And obviously, for you, your personal, the father and your father-in-law, were you delighted? Were you like, oh my goodness, I can eat bacon and eggs and lose weight? Was that how you felt? Like, yes. Well, you know, again, I've been on the the weight loss diet yo-yo my whole entire life, and um, you know. For myself now, it's it's almost twenty five years, and I've kept off most of the forty pounds. And 
you know, it's I I I was probably insulin resistant back then, although I didn't I didn't test myself. And you know, you know, just the one caveat is that, that I think that you know the uh, dietary approach is is different for uh, the individual. Yeah. But you know, in terms of an overall theme, I think cutting out processed foods, which are carbs and the industrial vegetable oils from the diet, are overall that that really helps everybody but you know for myself and others that are insulin resistant really focusing on reducing carbohydrates yeah. and increasing more you know protein and natural fats in the diet it, it's just a natural way to control appetite and it shifts the focus from telling individuals or or for yourself you you have to uh, adhere and and you have to deprive yourself of things in life that you enjoy where we're switching over to mindful living trying to find foods that satiate and we enjoy the food and we enjoy the life and if it's working right we're not as hungry and we're going to end up eating less and improving our health yeah i find it really interesting jeffrey that one of the biggest uh contentions if you like is or that you hear or people hear is that that low carb diet it's unsustainable people don't adhere to a low carb diet whereas I actually feel like as you've described when you find foods that naturally allow you to feel satisfied it's so much easier to adhere so I always question you know who are you actually asking about the adherence if it's not the people that are actually doing it and successfully sort of implementing it for many many years like i don't know like what are some of the things that you hear out there about the low carb approach with respect to um sort of common beliefs or misconceptions which you know to be untrue yeah well well look we have anecdote after anecdote of of you know patients that have really had success and have been able to to do this this long term so you know that it's that it's not sustainable you know that's that's a misconception you know that it's going to you know that you're going to have a heart attack and drop dead from eating all the saturated fat that you know uh you know animal protein and and red meat is going to cause cancer um it's going to cause kidney problems it's going to cause problems with uh gallbladder and you know the list just goes on and on and so you know first of all when you look at each and every one of those misconceptions and you actually look at the evidence to support there there really isn't and in fact you know it, it's been 25 years and you, look i don't do research but i call them anecdotes but there's one there's one after the other after the other and so uh you know not everyone can have success. I'm, you know, and, and again, there's there's different approaches, and uh, we we don't give the same advice to individuals. But again, we provide tools to help patients, and you know, we're we're kind of changing the lens and and the discussion about uh, looking at at food and in a healthy way. Yeah, totally, Jeffrey. And um, obviously, you've been doing this for you know. Uh, 25 years and you're well known Denver's diet doctor uh how was it when you first sort of started implementing this in your practice how was that uh taken by your colleagues yeah that's a great that's a great question Mickey so you know this was back in uh the year Y2K this, oh wow yeah really that that's when <laughs> yeah. that's when it really started for me and you know there there wasn't much internet and you know um I have some gray hair, and the 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 others with gray hair include uh, Eric Westman and Gary Tobbs, and Steve Finney goes back even before us. But you know, and then there was uh, Jackie Eberstein, who uh, was the nurse who worked with uh, Robert Atkins. So you know, there there wasn't a lot of people back then, and so I feel like I had gone out on my own back yeah. then. Um, into the great unknown. And um, I forged forward and I was kind of cautious. I was kind of quiet about what I was doing with my patients, although some of the patients loved it. But my first correspondence was actually with Jackie Eberstein. And I, I reached out to her on email and my I was typing and my fingers were shaking because she was, you know, I was like, this was a famous person. And 
And, you know, she, she's probably not going to respond back, but lo and behold, she responded back right away. And she was so personal and approachable. And, you know, this is, and we've met in person and this is the way it's really been in the, in the low carb community, uh, moving forward. But, um, you know, as, as time has gone on, I've realized that, you know, my, I, I work with other doctors in, in our community, uh, my, my office, and it's my own office. I'm a dying breed. I don't work for any system, uh, which is, is kind of unique, but I, I work on a hospital campus and, um, uh, my colleagues know what I do and, um, they, they really ne never made a, a bother about it. And you have to understand the temperament, you know, I'm not a troublemaker. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm more of finding middle ground and, you know, it takes all kinds in this community to advance nutrition science. And, you know, as you know, we do have all kinds. And so my, I, I'm just trying to find middle ground. And, and again, I want to educate my fellow healthcare professionals about, uh, discussing better nutrition with their patients. Yeah. Jeffrey, after 25 years, do you feel like the field or the public perception of this should have moved on a little bit more than it has, or has it sort of has the trajectory been as you might have expected? I, I I wish it would have moved on, but again, we're we're up against the um the 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 healthcare authority. Yes. <laughs> and you know, advanced advancing science, what's the expression? Um one funeral at a time. Yeah, one funeral at a time. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And so, you know, I'm just doing my part. So, uh, you know, one-to-one uh, -one healthcare professional to healthcare professional on social media, through our, our writings, our presentations, and, and now the conference. We, we wish that we could uh, have every healthcare professional in, in, in Denver come to the conference. I mean, it's right in the back the backyard. But the problem is that most healthcare professionals are busy and they don't have the time or interest in discussing nutrition. That's the biggest frustration. No, I appreciate that because, of course, you know, a lot of people have, um, uh, they they tell me about their sort of interactions with their doctors and they're like, oh, I'm so frustrated with my doctors not listening or, but actually that, that doctor has like 15 minutes to assess almost, you know, everything and sort of come up with something and, and they've got however many patients back to back for hours on end each day. There's not a lot of time to explore any additional interest. I'm often very, um, I um, find it's impressive that doctors do actually take the time to do research and stuff outside of, if it's a personal sort of passion yeah. of these, because well, otherwise well, so challenging. Yeah, well, well, look, that's that's what we do. So when we have a patient visit, and I also want to mention that I really enjoy working, still working in the healthcare system, because you know someone's got to be there to help the patients navigate the landmines of healthcare, yeah. and so we're, we're still working in the system. But you know, we take the time to discuss you know nutrition with with our patients, and and um, yeah, there was another point I kind of forgot, but. Um, you know, we would certainly hope that the the other healthcare professionals would would take uh, interest. Yeah, and I feel Jeffrey that possibly change might come if there was room in the medical curriculum to allow for that education. You know, like it's certainly from a a um, gra a grassroots approach that you know you can reach a yeah. lot of the, the sort of population. But it's that curriculum I feel is, I mean. That would be amazing to be able to yeah. make change there. Yeah, along those lines, you reminded me that you know, we as a healthcare professional, we were taught how to prescribe medication, but um, you know, what we're doing is kind of bridging this gap between what we can do in modern medicine and what we can do in nutrition, and that includes deprescribing, and you know, that that's a lot of fun. And uh, we were, uh, I was actually looking at my medical school yearbook. Yep. Okay, this is like from 30, 30, 30 plus years ago, right? 35 years ago. And um, uh, there's a picture of um, our, our, our um, health and prevention class. And the joke was there was nobody in the lecture hall. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was empty. Now, we had a guy that took notes. There was one guy that would take notes. Yeah. But, 
you know, the point is that nobody cared about prevention. And, you know, so it does need to change uh, in, you know, in medical school that there really should be a curriculum that's devoted to um, proper prevention and nutrition. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, that's up against it a little bit with, in light of the, uh, the powers that be above that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Um, so, Jeffrey, with regards to what people get from a clinic like yours, because I think it's really interesting for um, the audience to understand maybe what the process is if people would were to come and see you, because I don't know how many clinics I don't I don't think there are particularly that many clinics really set up doing what you do. So I think it's really interesting to chat about sure. what people would get. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, first and foremost is that we're we're a family doctor or, or a GP, as as you would say, and um, we we work with uh, under the constraints of commercial insurance, and you know we also have you know the the socialized insurance. Uh, I know in your country, Medicare is this is the term for all of the socialized policy. We call Medicare in this country for elderly, but then we have Medicaid. So, you know, we, we work on insurance. We we do cash, and so we um, we see patients just like we see any other patients for initial evaluation, general checkup, physicals, uh, health and well being, but. Um, you know, they're forewarned that we are going to discuss nutrition with them. Some some of them come and seek us out because of our interest in nutrition and they have health concerns such as weight loss, diabetes, heart disease, which are the big three. And, you know, I have a particular interest in longevity and cardiovascular risk. And so, um, so it's just a general checkup. And then from there, usually if a patient wants to address um, a weight issue. Uh, we we will schedule them on their next visit for uh, a glucose tolerance test. You know the, the and the insulin assay. So you know um, uh, Joseph Kraft and and your colleague um, Catherine Crofts has done a lot of work on the just uh, uh, on on the um, on the on the Kraft data, and she actually came up with a simple tool uh, to measure two hour insulin after a glucose challenge. So we've done thousands of them. Oh, amazing! Uh, and yeah, over the years, and you know, there's 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 some interesting findings. That um, the first finding that's really interesting is that uh, in terms of screening individuals for diabetes and pre-diabetes, this is where the glucose tolerance test and the insulin assay comes in. And so you can see an individual, and they can be any shape and size. You know, they could be n normal weight. You know, overweight. We have Asian population that are what we call tofi, thin on the outside, uh, fat on the inside, where you know they they appear healthy, but they're metabolically unhealthy inside. And so, there in some individuals, the the fasting blood work looks pretty good until you do the glucose challenge, and you might see glucose shoot up high or or not. But then the two hour insulin is interesting. Everything else looks looks okay. There's some some signs that there's something going on, but the two hour insulin can be, you know, off the charts. Um, yeah. So over forty, um, it, we we call that uh, abnormal if if in the two hour insulin assay. So uh, we we think that um, addressing insulin resistance early on can be so powerful because you know it can set in twenty twenty five years before you become overtly diabetic. So Jeffrey, uh, like I, like I find this so interesting because the you know when people go to get blood tests here in New Zealand, and I understand it's the same maybe where you are, we we get maybe we get a fasting glucose, um, we get HbA1c or A1c, we get that measured, uh, and then of course the cholesterol panel that tells us the triglycerides, which there is you know a relationship there. Why? And it's I've always wondered. Well, not always, maybe over the last 10 years, why insulin isn't routinely measured given that that's almost like the prequel, if you like, to everything else that happens afterwards. Like, what is it that, that doesn't make that just a standard? Um, yeah, well, you, you answered it, that it's not the standard of care. And, you know, 
in addition to the things that you 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 mentioned, which is great. That's I think basic testing is is fantastic. You could you know you you look at the triglyceride to HDL ratio. You can look at glucose HbA1c, and you can get a really good idea as to what's going on with the patient. But we're we're able to get fasting insulin and also C peptide, which is a measurement of a the pre insulin, you know, or a pro insulin uh, measurement, and. Um, you know, I, I've had an endocrinologist come back at me, Gerber, why are you measuring insulin levels and why did you do a glucose tolerance test and why did you measure a two-hour insulin? And, you know, it's just because it's not the standard of care. But, uh, you know, what we're doing really makes a power, has a powerful impact in our patient's health long-term because we're uh, able to recognize something very early on. Yeah, and Jeffrey, like I'm, I don't think I don't know if you'd be able to speak to the uh, sort of New Zealand or Australian environment. Those tests that you routinely run, can anyone ask their doctor to to be screened like that, or are they sort of special stuff that actually only some people are able to to get get a hold of? Yeah, well, well, well. Here, I mean, the patient can request blood tests from their doctor, whether the doctor is going to agree to. To do it or not is is an, is another thing, and so you know we've had patients that want to do fasting insulin and they want to do advanced lipid testing, and there are other doctors that are like, "What do you want to do that for?" Now I know in um, in New Zealand and Australia, you you may have some uh, restrictions in terms of what you can and cannot do. If I'm correct, yeah, 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 yeah that is correct. So you know, in our country. I can, so I don't have a problem. You know, the the idea is that um, to work within the the healthcare insurance system, if you, you simply you code for the comorbidities, you know, whatever, you know, if a patient has obesity or diabetes, prediabetes, heart disease, hypertension, uh, kidney disease, you, you you use comorbidities, and then um, you know, in general, the insurance will will pay for for testing. However, you have to be careful. I mean, there there are some nuanced testings. Like patients want to come in and they they want to they want to do a complete uh, uh, you know genetic profile, or they they want to look for you know heavy metals and chelation, and that really go that really takes us into the field of functional medicine or, or gut health. They want to look at the microbiome. I'm I'm interested in all that stuff, but I just have to tell individuals that that there are some constraints to what can be done through their insurance. And and in our country, they can go out on their own and and get all the testing they want. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Obviously, you've got a a special interest in longevity and wellness and things like that. What's the next sort of step once you get those results? Yeah, well, um, just to mention briefly on the other side of this, that when we do glucose and insulin, we have some patients that aren't I that are not an ideal body weight, or they have some health issues, and um, we do insulin testing and it's normal. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, so it's actually uh, it, it's a fair share of the female population. You know, I would say like it's almost a third or more of the female population. You know, women who come in are not at their ideal body weight, and their metabolic testing is is normal. And so, you know, the the point there is so what are you going to do with them? And and the approach is is different. And so, like I mentioned early on. We do our work up, and if we have the insulin-resistant patient, so initially a low-carb, high-fat diet really works well. Uh, and you know, the, the basic mechanism is that uh, insulin is driven predominantly by carbohydrate, less so from protein and fat in the diet, and so it helps to improve blood sugar, and it, it you know it helps to control appetite long-term for those individuals. But if you have uh, someone who's more insulin sensitive, you can put them on a high fat diet and you'll certainly satiate them and they may few, lose a few pounds, but um, long-term they're not going to have success. And, you know, the weight, the weight's going to rapidly come back and they're going to be frustrated. And so this is where the mindfulness comes into it. And it's very important to, uh, you know, talk to Patients that are both insulin sensitive and insulin resistant, but in particular these insulin sensitive, you know, they they measure normal. That that the goal is to 
always focus on finding um, a, a, a mix of macronutrients, a, fixed, a mix of micronutrients that are going to satiate, control appetite, so you're not hungry and you eat less. Mindfulness, where you pay, you know, you're paying attention to your body. You, you're going, you're trying to restore, you know, central satiety signals rather than, you know, your stomach just expanding from bloating from carbohydrate, and so. You know, this is where the approach um, is diff is different. And I should say that if you have a, a diabetic, you know, clearly a ketogenic diet should be the default diet for them. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's just been shown over, over, and again. But as they improve their metabolic health and lose weight, well, and they become fat adapted. Well, guess what? Their their diet's going to look very similar to somebody that's doing long term that's insulin sensitive. Yeah, and that is. You know, we, we kind of use the term low-carb Mediterranean, where the long-term approach is that you don't want to gorge on fat, where you, you just fill with fat, because again, fat is caloric dense. Fat is also, um, it, it has some nutrient, in, but not a lot of nutrient. So you eat enough fat to fill. And I, Ben Bickman, I, I love his um, alliteration where you eat enough fat to fill. But if you're doing, and you do that by um, eating lean cuts and fatty cuts of meat, not pouring butter or olive oil or eating bacon all, all day long. So you do that part. And if you're doing that right, then um, you're going to be increasing uh, your protein and lean protein. And we really prefer animal sources. And then the carbohydrate intake will be, um, will be varied. And again, to say protein is really where all the micronutrients uh, are. And you know, protein is like the building block for the body. And Dr. Einfeld, I have to, I have to give him credit. You know, he kind of calls, you know, protein like builds, builds the engine, and then you have the fat and the carbohydrate to fuel the engine. Yeah. And you got to get the mix and the micronutrients right. Yeah. No, that's great, Jeffrey. And actually, just a couple of um, points on on what you just mentioned or just talked about. So, with regards to the woman, a third of the women being insulin sensitive, I find that super interesting because that's so in line with my clinical practice where women come in overweight wanting to do a ketogenic diet or come to me because they have been doing a ketogenic diet, yet it's no longer working for them. And I see that time and again. And so um, these like my my predominant approach is a higher protein, lowish carb, um, but also lowish fat as well for these people because that's the because they um, for a lot of people that's where that sort of sweet spot is. Um, but to have that aligned with what you're seeing in blood work is super interesting because we don't always have that intel due to the fact that we don't get those measures of of sort of insulin resistance and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So look, I, working in the trenches, as we like to say, you and myself, you know, the perspective is you got you have to deal with this, and so you know we're 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 also out on social media, but you know, my my message isn't uh, you know a, a hard sell in terms of creating it like a false dichotomy. Yes. And Lane Norton actually, I I, I have to give him credit for this false dichotomy where, you know, it's, it's calories against hormones, yeah, I know. right? Calories again, but they're all, the, the point is at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's all important. So, you know, it, it, it may be a boring message, but you know, the, what we're trying to do is improve people's health. I'm not trying to uh, increase my following on social media. <laughs> no, totally. And um, and so, Jeffrey, how does that play into the markers or the measures that you look at from a longevity perspective? Obviously, it's a big part of it. So, what other things do people uh, sort of come to you for or or get from that perspective? Yeah, sure. So, look, we we want to measure all the basic numbers that uh, you had mentioned we we want to look at at thyroid we want to look at kidney electrolytes liver function and you know another tool that we re we really like to look at is um heart calcium scores long term uh because um you know that's that's one of the longevity factors and so you know often a low carb diet will elevate the um the ldl cholesterol Although it 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 improves the ratios in a good way, LDL can go up in some, and so as you know, that's always been a a big contentious issue that 
you know, and I mentioned in the beginning that, you know, this, this diet is some, perhaps, you know, a misconception that it's unhealthy for your, your heart. And so the heart calcium score uh, directly visualizes the coronary arteries. So uh, it, it's a CAT scan. It takes 10 minutes. It's only $99 here in the U.S. And uh, it looks for the, 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 um, the buildup of calcium, which is really the tip of the iceberg in the arteries and, and there's soft plaque underlying. But, you know, a, a zero score is a perfect score. Uh, a higher score increases uh, your risk of a disease. It doesn't look for blockage. And that's really important for people to understand it. It just measures the overall burden of plaque and gives you a um, a, a number. You really need to do like a heart catheterization or a CT angiogram to see if there's there's blockage. So it's it's a great screening tool. And, you know, it, it looks at the health of the engine, the heart. Mm. The blood markers is a great analogy is is really looking at the, the fuel. So, you know, you have different different tools. And so what's interesting is often a heart calcium score doesn't correlate with LDL cholesterol. And so that's just it's just fascinating. So you you can do heart calcium scores and you can follow follow them serially. Although you know, again, heart calcium scores, a lot of healthcare professionals don't even know about them. And you know, if if they if they uh, do them and they there's any calcium, they just want to put them on medication. And and so you know, with all else being equal. Um, I, and it's not equal, you know. We're we're approaching this through diet and nutrition. It's it's not, you know, it's not a test to to tell people they have to take medication. Although if they have a higher score, we have that discussion, and it's not a it's not a segue to getting additional heart testing. Yeah. So yeah, those are some. That's how we approach it long term. Yeah, Jeffrey, with a um, calcium score, what can you do anything to reduce the calcium or is it a manner is it a matter of um delaying the progression further is that how diet and nutrition work in that space yeah so when i look at the literature i i do not see that you can reduce a calcium score so again calcium and plaque is there to repair damage and yeah. so in that sense it's a good thing yeah you know it, it's like um you know uh, the golden gate bridge has cracks in it yeah and the traffic's flowing. We don't want the bridge to fall down. So you know the mason goes out there with his uh, his cementer and he and he patches up all the cracks and he gets to the other side of the bridge and he turns around and the traffic's moving and the bridge is still standing. And so that that's how the the calcium score you know or or plaque. That's how we look at plaque it, that it's repairing damage. And so um, or it's like you know it's it's a it's it's a wound that's that's healed. And so the idea idea is that we want to see that it's that it's stable and you know there's different ways to measure the the the, the score there's a density and a volume and so we look at the volume score and volume over the years will tell you if there's new areas so you can look at existing areas with density and um they can consolidate and actually get a little more calcium and that it, it might be a good sign you know it it's still um the, you know the the experts are still researching and trying to to decide what you know what's stable uh, plaque what's unstable plaque but if volume score increases that's really a sign of of progression and so if if we can see that the volume score stays the same in in, in uh, over the long haul the risk of an event actually drops so there's patients that have old stable calcium just like the golden gate bridge that i was giving you the analogy yeah okay and so it's really a matter of looking at what might cause the damage that would then encourage that calcium deposition in the arteries and trying to prevent do the things you can lifestyle wise to prevent that damage from occurring correct so the, the mechanism is that um plaque atherosclerosis is an inflammatory disease just like everything else that that we've been talking about and dealing with and so we want to look at you know metabolic health and you know it's it's not about simply lowering ldl cholesterol and you know to think that that you know the the medications are are going to you know, we give a, a a statin, for instance, to a patient. Just take the statins, and you can go to any fast food restaurant you want and eat whatever you want, and you're going to live forever. I mean, it's just 
that's the wrong message. That's not how it works. Yeah. And is that how a lot of people, at lo- like general population, is that how a lot of people sort of think? Yes. I mean, the commercials are, are d- designed that way on, on television. And when, when we look at the use of statins for primary prevention in terms of individuals that are free of heart disease, uh, you know, the, you don't live any longer and it really doesn't re- reduce uh, the, the event rate despite what, you know, the, the whole industry is telling us. And so, you know, this is where, you know, it was important for all of us, uh, you and me both, to be thinking outside the box and to really ask these questions and to step back and say, hey, you know, you know, I, I, I tell the patients, look, you, you're going to take a statin for primary prevention. It's, it's not going to help you. What's going to help you is diet and lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeffrey, how does our mitochondrial health play into all of this? Like, is, is this on your, on your mind as you're sort of addressing some of these things with your patients? Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up, Mickey, because you know, I, both of us love to talk about mitochondrial health. And so, you know, just to make that for a really short discussion is that I gave a, a great talk uh, several years back. And so the question is, um, how do you fuel your mitochondria for longevity? And um, I, I like to, the expression, longevity is an endurance sport. And, and, and then how do you fuel that? And so if, if you look at oxidative stress in the mitochondria, and there's a lot of mechanisms, and the concept here simply is that, um, that fat is really a slow-burning fuel in the mitochondria, whereas glucose is like rocket fuel. And, you know, just, you know, my talk was about literally heat generated by rapidly burning energy in the mitochondria, but there's reversed electron transport, there's mitohormesis, there's um, um, uncoupling, uh, which which is also the way that the mitochondria actually, like a heat sink, give off heat in a, in a good way, just they kind of dissipate heat. So it goes on and on. And so I think there's a lot of good mechanisms. It's it's mechanistic to uh, to make this argument that um, uh, long-term, you, you, you can use both fuels, but if you just stick with glucose your entire life, that your diet is predominantly glucose-based, that you're going to be stressing mitochondria. And so, you know, the argument is that Fat as a slow-burning fuel is good for longevity. Uh, the other aspect of this is it's it's good for athletic performance. And so, look, it's good to be fit and in shape. And when you're fit and in shape, you can you can you can you can oxidize both fuels. You can do both fuels. And you know, I live up in altitude, and so there's this whole argument: what's the best fuel for for the altitude? And you know the enthu- some of the altitude enthusiasts say well you know glucose it's glucose because you don't need as much oxygen to metabolize glucose at altitude i mean if you look at it on a molecular basis you know that might be true but it turns out that uh, you might need less oxygen but you give off more co2 when you're using glucose as, as a fuel. And so what's the net effect on, on gas exchange or breathing, right? And so, you know, the simple answer is that, you know, if you're fit and in shape and, and you're able to metabolize fat, long-term uh, at any altitude, you're, you're going to be, again, doing quite well with um, fat as the predominant fuel. Now, just one other thing, you know, glucose, fat, you have to have oxygen to metabolize it, you know, and it's called oxidative phosphorylation in the, in the mitochondria. But glucose, there's, there's kind of two pathways. You can do it with oxygen or without oxygen through glycolysis. But the problem with glycolysis or fermentation is you give off lactate. Yeah. And, you know, un, people that are not fit, their, their mitochondria don't work right. And so they're they're kind of starving for energy, and we have to give Mark Cucuzella credit for this one. Yeah. They're starving for energy, and so they they really you know they they have to resort to glycolysis, and you know they're burning glucose, and you know they 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 can't really exercise, so they they have to get fit, and so that it's really an argument for being fit along with you know diet 
uh, you know, exercise, maintaining, you know, mus muscular, musculoskeletal health, skeletal muscle health throughout life, increasing mitochondrial density. All this is important. Yeah, totally. And Jeffrey, I think what this really allows people to appreciate is that it's not just about body size when we talk about uh using different fuel substrates and the importance of a, uh, you know, a quality diet, but potentially a lower carbohydrate diet than what other people would be uh, familiar with. Because, of course, that uh, utilizing fat as a fuel source, I mean, we've got hundreds of thousands of calories of fat, even the leanest individual does. And those mitochondrial challenges that you have just described are present regardless of body size. It does, you can't actually look at an individual and, and particularly know what that underlying sort of mitochondrial health is just by visually looking at them. So I think that's a really important point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the other aspect is, you know, I think, you know, being fit and and exercising and, and moving is uh, is fun. Yeah, oh, 100%. And interesting what you yeah. say about altitude, because I've had a conversation with uh, Professor Grant Schofield about the use of carbohydrate and being fat adapted for a hot environment as well, because a similar thing applies, well, a different mechanism, but glucose use uh, increases in the heat for athletes. However, if you are more fat adapted in that heat, then your reliance on carbohydrate will be less. And so, of course, with people in the longer events, Grant and I were discussing Ironman where you have to take on board carbohydrate, you're, you run the risk of a lot more GI issues if you are solely relying on this increased glucose demand. Whereas if you work on getting fat adapted, you don't have, you don't have to rely as much on that glucose. So that does offset some of those gastrointestinal challenges that some people can get. It's a it's a great topic, Mickey. And you know, I have to give credit to Sven Bream, who most people may not know about. And um, he's actually an IT engineer who's really taken a deeper dive into uh, metabolic health. And he's actually helped me uh, work through this whole um, topic of um, fueling uh, performance at altitude. And uh, I, I don't think you're on this email thread, but it, there's a great thread. Professor Noakes is on that thread. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't know if Grant is on that thread. He he may be. He must, He may be a stalker, but <laughs> <laughs> a quiet stalker. Yeah. But just having lots of great conversations about um, exercise, performance, and fuel. Yeah, nice. And, and of course, Performance is something which a lot of competitive athletes consider and and spend a lot of time thinking about. But, you know, we're all athletes. We're humans. So I think that it's really relevant to anyone that is interested in health and well-being and longevity. Right. It, it, it doesn't matter your, your size, shape, or age. Uh, just being active is important uh, for everyone. Yeah. Jeffrey, can I, I, I really want to chat to you about um, Low Carb Denver, My, but I do have a question that might lead on to it, actually. Um, your discovery that the low carb diet was not necessarily the diet for everyone, or a high fat diet, actually, I think I'm going to frame it that way. Um, was that a surprise? Did you, has, has, has your approach, is this something you learned over time, or is that something you sort of knew already? So how has your approach changed, if that's the major change and only change, over the course of the 25 years? Yes, I, I, I've learned with my patients. And I was initially puzzled because I was seeing these types of individuals and actually talking to the community, I would get feedback, oh, just put them on a low carb diet, just, you know, keep going. And it just, it just didn't make any um, sense to me and looking at mechanisms and, and so forth. And so, you know, over the years I, I've learned, I've shifted. And so some of the general principles that we already talked about apply. And it, it is a great segue into the conference because the theme of the conference is where is nutrition headed? Yeah, nice. Yeah. And of course, one of my faves, Lane Norton, is going to be speaking at the conference. And I, I believe that raised a few eyebrows, potentially not amongst the people who know you, but maybe in other people who are attending a low carb conference. Or maybe it was Lane's followers were like, hang on, mate, what are you doing going to a low-carb conference? So can you sort of explain what you want to get out of having the likes of Lane 
at the conference. So we're we're delighted to have Lane at the conference, and our 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 conversations have been very friendly. And so people have to understand that the Lane's persona on social media is to insult people. <laughs> yes. And, and, yeah, and he's the first one to say it, and he's totally. insulted a, a a lot of people. I mean, he's he he's he's picked on low, low carb a lot, and so um, you know his point about that is, um, and 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 I I agree that people have to be careful what they say on social media. You can say what whatever they want; it's not filtered, and um, you know, is what uh, individuals are saying evidence based or not evidence based. And so, you know, what makes social media fun is that there is a dichotomy, you know, that, you know, that there's, there's, I mean, in medical research, it's that way too, you know, people, there's the two factions fighting with each other. And, and so, you know, Lane's, Lane's part of that, but you have to understand that Lane does um, agree that in, in some individuals, low carb diets are beneficial. Um, his perspective is that um, you want to find something that's going to work best for the individual that will ultimately help control appetite so that you know they will they they'll eat less but at the end of the day for lane you know you have to you have to reduce uh, you know the, the the net calories yeah 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 so but it's not but he agrees that hormones do play a role in it as well and that is different for everybody. And so, you know, he was very open and excited to to come to the conference. And I, I think, you know, once you get the part of get past the part of him insulting people, and he's he's toned it down over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I think in person he's very professional and he loves he loves educating and and he's very he's very fit. And I think that uh, he's going to um add to the um the message and what people are going to get out of the uh, the conference. Yeah, awesome, Jeff. And so, can we have a chat about some of the speakers or um, a brief sort of uh, rundown on some of the, and some of the people you're most excited about? Not that you're playing favorites, but um, because I understand, obviously, you can be um, lucky enough to be there in person, but of course, you've got virtual tickets as well, so people can just sign up and enjoy the conference from the comfort of their home. Amazing. Yeah, so I I don't know where you know if your audience is uh, predominantly based from your part of the world, but uh, again, you know, there's going to be virtual access to it, and that includes educational credits virtually, uh, or you can you know come come to the uh, to Denver. Uh, you know, it's usually just two flights, two one long flight and one short flight, and that long flight's so, not even that long, twelve hours. Yeah, I it's 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 not it's not so bad. You just hunker down and and go for it. But you know, just to summarize, not not to really mention people, but but you know, you, you can go to our website, low carb conferences, and see this the schedule. But you know, general topics. You know, we're going to look at best diets based on metabolic health, and we're gonna we're gonna look at you know hormones and calories and, and nutrients. Um, another big area is going to be fitness and and uh, muscle centric health. Uh, actually, G Gabrielle Lyon is 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 one of the speakers who's going to get into that. Uh, I think uh, Thomas DeLauer also get into that. We're going to get into male and female health. Um, we're going to look at um, eating disorders. I think that's that's kind of an elephant in the room at the conference. Yeah, interesting. We, yeah, it's really interesting because you know. You got to be careful. You don't want to enable people with with new dietary approaches that are going to fail. So you have to be careful with that. We're going to look at uh, mental health and 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 metabolic health. You know, you know the, this idea that uh, mental health or, or brain health is just part of of, of again metabolic disease. And um, we're going to have a couple talks on that. Uh, we're going to talk about intermittent fasting. Nina Teicholz will be there talking about um, politics and nutrition. Uh, we have a whole section on Saturday morning devoted to uh, heart disease. Uh, Sunday afternoon, we're going to uh, actually breach uh, or, or discuss the, the topic of um, lipedema, which is uh, another condition that uh, we see in individuals. And so, uh, yeah, that. That's a quick summary. Yeah, that's a great summary. There are so many uh, 
super interesting topics, Jeffrey, and like everything that you mentioned, I'm like, oh, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. I can't wait to hear more about that. And of course, it's stuff that we might read about and consume um, often because we're interested and we do research and talk to people and, and follow things on social media. But it seems like a bit of a one-stop shop, if you like, for sort of the state of where we're at with regards to a host of some of the most important health conditions that people are experiencing. Yeah. Well, I know you, you're coming along with our friend James. Maybe you can uh, entice a couple uh, more Kiwis to uh, travel. That would be amazing. And um, to be fair, the flights weren't that expensive and it's not that long and you need something to look forward to because, of course, post-February we're headed into autumn and winter and it's all just a bit depressing. <laughs> yeah. And it, look, it's been three years since we had the event and um, you know, it's it's still somewhat uncertain. You know what what's going to happen, but I, you know, my wife and I, she helps plan the event, and I have some co-organizers. We we sat and we went down and we said, look, we we want people to meet in person, get back together after going to Metabolic Health Summit. Um, you know, it it was a really good vibe, and so we decided to uh, take the plunge, and um, it's going to be a fantastic event, and um, we. We we really need um, you know the, the audience to fill the seats, and so the contribution to the for the audience is if the it, you know in a sense if they support our event, they're supporting uh, nutrition science, and that's what we want to continue to to offer. Yeah, absolutely, and it's that you know the more people that are there consuming the information, just the more awareness people have of these concepts because you know as we talked about it's unlikely that any real change is going to happen from the top down so it really needs to be at that grassroots level people sort of consuming and then trying it on for themselves yeah and what's unique is that um, we have a diverse group in terms of um, knowledge uh, attending so it's um, we have the most knowledgeable to the least knowledgeable and uh, often the, you know, I joked, the least knowledgeable can be the healthcare professional. <laughs> they, need to be at the, they need to be at this conference and, and, and we all learn from each other. Yeah, totally. Awesome, Jeffrey. So where can people find out information, more information about Low Carb Denver? Yes, simply uh, visit uh, lowcarbconferences.com. Uh, you can find us on social media at lowcarbconferences.com. Also, uh, Jeffrey Gerber, MD. I spell my name funny, J-E-F-F-R-Y. <laughs> Is that you or your parents? My parents. Yeah. We, blame, we blame them. I blame mine too. Um, and of course, I don't want to um, leave without mentioning your book, Eat Rich, Eat Rich, Live Long. It was only, you said several years ago, it was only actually almost five years ago now, I believe, Jeffrey. Like, brilliant recipes really good guides, some food plans to help get people sort of started along the way. I imagine along the same vein as what we're talking about. Yeah. So in 2017, we wrote it with um, my engineer colleague, Ivor Cummins from, from Dublin, and it's still relevant. We're very proud of the work. I, I was more of a consultant and Ivor just uh, is, is just fantastic with language and writing. And so I was by his side the, uh, the whole time. And, um, uh, also, oh, my my wife Nicole yes. says hello. By the way, oh hi Nicole. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> yeah. her. That's fantastic. You haven't seen her in a while. <laughs> no, it's been some years. Um, Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time, and um, and I do really encourage anyone that is able to to actually consider going along to the conference. I mean, I say consider. I mean, you know, those of us in New Zealand and Australia, like it is such a good ground to meet like-minded people and it's really it's um there's nothing so satisfying i think to actually being somewhere in person it's just so different from being online however the information is available online and it, there are a wealth of awesome speakers in the lineup you've just got some of the best of the industry jeffrey so congratulations on that oh thanks mickey and we're looking forward to seeing you and james in person
I don't doubt that you enjoyed that conversation as I did. And next week on the podcast, I bring to you my interview with Dr. Jose Arita, who is an exercise physiologist from Liverpool Moore University, all about low energy availability and within day energy availability. Until next week, though, you can catch me over at Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, or head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, where you can book a consultation with me, sign up to my recipe portal access, or, of course, Monday's Matter, and that kicks off Monday 6th of February, the Shredgeary edition. All right, team, have a great week. Speak to you soon. Bye.